Welcome to Season 4 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Before we get started, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you that have subscribed, listened and reviewed the episodes. I really do appreciate you taking the time. In this week's episode of the Art of Teaching podcast, I had the pleasure of interviewing the phenomenal Beck West and Stephen Colbert. These two incredible educators have been named in the top 50 finalists for the 2021 Global Teacher Prize. Beck is a school leader in southwestern Sydney and is known for creating educational videos on her YouTube channels Clever Pickles and Talkin' Chalk. Stephen publishes teaching content online on his YouTube channel, Mr. Colbert's Teaching, for other teachers and students to use. He is a regular podcast guest and is passionate about building communities that share best practice. It was a pleasure to interview both of these incredible educators. I hope that you get as much out of this interview as I did. And Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's uh, eight o'clock at night. Um, the kids are in bed and you could be doing anything else other than talking to me. So I'm incredibly grateful. Beck, where are you phoning in from? Uh, my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's in Sydney, obviously. Yes, I'm in, I'm in southwest Sydney, which uh, up until recently was one of the hottest of hot spots. I work and live in the hot spots. So I work in the, I work in the uh, Fairfield region and live in the Campbelltown region. So only up until a week ago was I actually allowed to pretty much go anywhere beyond my house. <laughs> wow. wow. And, and Stephen, uh, you're fighting from Melbourne? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where, uh, so, whereabouts? It's a beautiful part of the world. I'm in Glenroy at the moment. So... An exciting time to be alive in Glenroy. <laughs> we're, we're also rather hot to uh, jump on Bex, Bex's comment as well. <laughs> Masks no. are a fashion statement we're not we're not making around my area, let's put it that way. <laughs> look, it, look it, it is what it is. People are just getting through uh, this time. So, uh, yeah, incredibly grateful that you would uh, have a chat to me today. So I know it's uh, coming towards the end of the, uh, end of the day, but, um, Stephen, what's your coffee order when I can finally fly down to Melbourne and... and, and, and buy your coffee uh so i would be getting a milkshake and a juice that's that's my go-to uh you've got to have both options that's, together that's not together surely milk and juice well you you know you space them out spaced oh. repetition but no you, you gotta have both definitely not coffee i'm, I'm the least melbourne person i know well, I, wow i i'm 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 shocked uh juice and milkshake uh, sounds like a uh uh, an interesting combination. Um, uh, Beck, I take it you're, uh, you don't have milk and juice for first thing in the morning? No, well, no, not like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, my go-to before work is I stop at the local McCafe. I okay. go through the drive-thru and I get a skim hazelnut latte and I get it served extra hot because there's no way I'm going to get the time to drink it as soon as I walk in on site. It usually yeah. needs to be microwaved at some point in the morning. I do, however, like to drink tea and uh, I like some flavoured teas as well. So usually it's coffee in the morning and then teas throughout the rest of the day. Nice. Interesting. Um, Beck, uh, what is an item that is still on your bucket list? Uh, I want to go 
and stay in one of those overnight clear igloo dome things under the northern lights i think they're in the netherlands or somewhere in finland somewhere like that that i definitely want to go and do that i don't know when that'll happen maybe like in a million years after covid is all done (laughs) yeah uh what about you Stephen? is it to leave melbourne or are you thinking sort of beyond that no, no, yeah. I've stopped planning long ago. Um, so I've scaled back my ambitions. It's just to get out of Melbourne in, by car or by plane, not fast. Fantastic. I mean, that that's a good lesson, isn't it? Just uh, kids, uh, reduce your expectations and scale down your uh, ambition. Uh, <laughs> Less disappointment. <laughs> That's right. Uh, guys, it's been, a, um, it's been a whirlwind. I seem to be seeing your faces uh, all over Twitter and Instagram. And, and for those people that um, are not aware, uh, you've both been nominated uh, as part of the Global uh, Teacher Prize uh, for Education. So congratulations. Um, it's an incredible privilege and incredible uh, testimony to your um, expertise and your professionalism and what you have invested into a wonderful profession. But Stephen, what was what does it mean to be nominated uh, as one um, of the top fifty teachers globally? Um, it's it's an amazing achievement. It's it's surprising. I think it's sort of um, I don't know. I'm trying to claim it on behalf of Victoria as the first Victorian person to make the top fifty, nice. um, and I just think the amount of time that we spent remote learning uh, we deserve some sort of accolade, and this I'm taking it on behalf of the the state if I'm allowed. Uh, but yeah, it's just been been really wonderful. Um, at this time, currently halfway through the holidays, I would normally be in Cambodia. So instead, uh, as Beck will no doubt comment on, we've got our little WhatsApp with the top fifty, many of the top fifty participants in there. And so that's my little, you know, my insight into what I would normally be doing, which is interacting with teachers from around the world. So that's been amazing, and sort of yeah, it's just kind of it's exciting to meet other people who are kind of as into education as I am. So it's kind of like, you know, I'll say, oh, I've, I've been reading up on your profile to someone and I'll say, here's my website with all the articles I've written. And I'm like, hey, here's my website with all the articles I've written. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't know there were other people who did that kind of garbage. So I'm like, you know, it's exciting to connect with these sort of people that are going above and beyond. Yeah. Awesome. What, what would you uh, usually be doing in Cambodia at this time? Uh, so we go over and we tra- train teachers. So we sort of run week-long workshops. And we started about a decade ago, took my wife there on our, ha- on our honeymoon to see if she'd survive. And uh, 11, 10, 11 years later, she was the president. I'm the secretary. You know, we're kind of, yeah, we're keeping it, keeping it kicking. But, yeah, working with Khmer teachers and the U.S. teachers and Swedish teachers and doing teacher stuff full-time. Amazing. <laughs> it sounds like a, an unusual honeymoon uh, to go and... Uh, in your break to go and teach uh, people with your wife, but it's obviously a, a, must have been a really memorable experience. Yeah, I'd recommend everyone try it once. If they survive, they, that's a good sign. <laughs> teaching, <laughs> on your teaching. honeymoon, just try and change the world. That's a great yeah, idea. <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't doing that on my honeymoon, but uh, congratulations uh, for uh, for investing in other people. I think that's <laughs> that is uh, that is amazing. Uh, uh, Beck, what does it mean uh, for you to be uh, nominated? I'm I, I'm. I follow your work really closely, um, but for those people that aren't aware um, of, of what you do, uh, it might be worth spending a few moments talking about that as well, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I think that the reason that I got there was the work that I do trying to share with educators. Well, my prime goal is obviously Australian teachers, but it's um, been established worldwide that it's been helping teachers. So to to be listed amongst, you know, 
the top mm. 50 in the world is extremely exciting and um, it's humbling as well to to see all those other teachers and the wonderful things that they're doing. But I mean, it's also good to know that the effort and the energy and the time that we put into trying to help uh, people in our industry is recognised and it does help. Obviously, if it didn't help people, then it wouldn't be recognised in in this way. And and that's, you know, the work that Stephen does as well and working with teachers a- across other countries. The fact that we're not just focusing on our kids in our school, we understand that education is a global uh, industry. It's not just within our systems. And that's why Stephen and I have collaborated before on teach meets and things like that. We know it's not our own little bubble that we stay in. We do better when we work together and share across our collective, you know, ideas and and strategies that we use. So I, I think I love I love the idea that I'm learning more <laughs> by being part of this top 50. And yeah, the, the group that were that Stephen started with the WhatsApp uh, so far, I'm already learning so much just from the, the photos that we share or hearing about other people's projects and what they're doing. And just um, a couple of little things where you're like, oh, that's a good idea that I might steal <laughs> that might work in my context. But it's also being able to support others in their initiatives too, because you know, some people are on the ground trying to start something brand new. I'm very fortunate that I work at a school where I've got a supportive principal, amazing staff, and I work in a system that supports what I do. Not everyone around the world has that. So if we can all do what um, the Global Teacher Prize is meant to do, which is uplift teachers and recognise that we are highly educated, um, you know, professionals with quality expertise, then that's what we can do for people around the world. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's so... um inspirational like I said to see teachers sharing that expertise not only across their school but their school networks and even more broadly in both of your cases um, globally which I think is so important. Um, uh, Beck and Stephen as a question to both of you how on earth do you find the time uh, because um, Beck I know you have uh, young children uh, Stephen I'm not uh, sure about you um, but how on earth do you find the time to do this? Because uh, schools and leadership, especially in schools, is pretty time consuming, but somehow uh, you both carve space to take the time to invest in a much broader, the much broader teacher community. So maybe we might uh, throw to you uh, first, Stephen, how do you, how do you find the time to do what you do? Um, it's, it, it's quite amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, every, every <laughs> night, every night I collapse in a pile and I, um, one of my forthcoming uh, interviews is about uh, teacher well-being, and I'm like, I couldn't think of anyone worse to talk to. It's like, well, what I do is when I finish teaching, then I go and uh, read research, and then I write research, and then uh, then I get on Twitter or I have some kind of online event, and then I collapse and, uh, uh, you know, look after baby and then put him to bed, and then after that, then we kick back into gear as we are, you know, right now, 8 o'clock, we Little ones are, t- are to sleep, and rather than sleeping ourselves off and catching up on Z's, which would be, uh, you know, a lovely respite, we're kind of out here trying to trying to communicate, collaborate, and sort of make teaching better, more public, more visible, more excellent, all those sort of things. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it's it's fun. That's why you do it, right? Yeah, I guess um, passion makes room, doesn't it? Because you, when something that you believe in so much, um, as we all do. Um, with education and really making a difference. I think it's, you just kind of find the time. What what about you, Beck? Uh, How on earth do you do it? I mean, we've 
we've chatted before um, about uh, kind of that balance between home life and school and the chaos that it can sometimes be. But somehow uh, amongst um, your role within the school, you've also found time to record YouTube videos and to sit on panels and to run professional learning. And I thought I was productive, but I think you're putting me to shame. Uh, how, how do you <laughs> to do it? I, I think um, my husband would probably have a different view about how much my work balance. But it would like be great to have him on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that him in itself is one of the reasons I can do the things that I do. Yeah. He is a stay-at-home dad. So that automatically reduces, I guess, the responsibilities that um, would be put on me if he also worked, which like he is the cook. I never cook, which is fine because I'm terrible at it. So <laughs> that works out fine. Um, you know, little things like that. My kids are older now. So a lot of the house chores, um, they're learning to be independent. So on the weekend when it's time to do washing, they, they're they already putting the washing out. They're, you know, bringing it in. They're folding it up Amazing. and putting it away. It's, it's much easier now than what it was when they were younger, though. So when they were younger, I was burning at both ends. You know, I was up past midnight, up at before 6 a.m., um, and I, we were living in the country at the time that they were that age and I lived one minute away from where I worked. So that time that, you know, normally would be spent commuting was just more work. It wasn't like I had more yes. relaxation time yeah. and somehow I just filled it up with more work. So I think over the years, though, I've gotten better at prioritising what's most important. So this term, while we've been in lockdown, I have had to reduce how much content I'm putting out onto my Talk & Talk YouTube channel and I've had to prioritise the kids' channel, the Clever Pickles channel, because that's what my kids have needed at school. And I've just had to go, that's the priority. Um, I was able to maintain doing weekly podcasts with the team because I don't uh, produce any of those. I literally turn up at the right time. I look through our notes and then I just talk about whatever I think will help people. So the fact that I'm not doing all of that back-end stuff works for that. So I think the key is knowing, I guess, if we want to have an impact on things, how can we do that the most beneficial way? And the way that I found to do that is really sharing what's relevant in my context. I'm not seeking other things um, that aren't relevant to what I'm doing right now uh, and adding to my workload. I'm just utilizing whatever is my workload to share with others. So when um, Stephen and I have done those teach meets and things before, it's been things that have been relevant to me. I didn't go, yeah, yeah, I want to go learn something new. I'm going to go research that and bring that to the table. I pick things that fit within my structure that I know I can do. And, and sometimes it means saying no to things. Like if I have been asked to do a panel or something like that, sometimes you have to say no and just be able to prioritize and learn what's most important about you. But, you know, obviously for both of us, our most important thing would be our school and our students and our teachers that we work with they always come first I think the bigger part is I only realized recently I think this stuff is like my hobby like I don't really have any other hobbies I, I do garden a little bit uh, I used to do dancing before I had kids and I do like to go hiking as well but I've realized like doing this stuff doesn't drain me like it excites me I actually get a lot of enjoyment out of doing it so instead of I don't know uh, you know being at the gym 24 7 or, or going swimming or something like other people do enjoy doing and there's no you know putting down on that this is the kind of stuff that excites me like I'm I am reading those texts at night like you Stephen as well but like I feel like I'm gaining stuff out of it <laughs> no, it's both um uh, my life is 
very much like that. It's both sad and inspirational at the same time. <laughs> Teaching sad and inspirational. Yeah, yeah. Once again, and, and that, that we should put that on a t-shirt or a mug and distribute it around uh, <laughs> staff rooms. But but it is like that, isn't it? It's a bit of a it's a bit of an obsession. Um, and, and in some ways, I know from my experience, it, it has been. It sort of it hasn't always been a healthy obsession. I think I've definitely had to learn. Uh, how to kind of balance those things and and and, and I'm incredibly fortunate uh, my wife is amazing and also uh, she's currently in the background uh, <laughs> to this. Um, my and, and but and she's from a family of teachers and she gets what it takes to make a difference in the lives of young people and it really is all consuming but what a privilege uh, to get to stand in front of a group of leaders or stand in front of a classroom and help to mold and shape uh, these these little minds it's something which I don't take for granted at all um, but how on earth um, Stephen so this is we'll start with you and then maybe move on to Beck um, how do you remain kind of endlessly curious uh, because you're saying that you you're, you're constantly at reading and consuming research and you're you, you're flying off um, uh, to uh, other countries to help support teachers there like how do you maintain that passion and that excitement for our profession where in many ways um, people don't always do that so how on earth do you do that Stephen? Um, I don't know I don't want to set myself up as some sort of exception or you know exceptionalism but it's you know I think learning as as teachers the, the thirst for me personally like I'm a learner before I'm a teacher always yeah. um, and it's kind of that's the process for other people, it might be different. Like it might be relationships first and then content second. But for me, it's always been learning first. And um, I'm by nature like a shy, withdrawn person, or I was before I started teaching. And <laughs> that, that changed, me, changed me very quickly in that respect. Um, but yeah, like a quiet person sitting in a library reading a book kind of thing. And then I started to realise, you know, after five or six years of teaching, like, oh, the, the best part is once you you find that knowledge, that new idea, that new thing, and then then you present it to someone and you have to think what's the best way to meet them where they're at, but also communicate, you know, the thing that I learned, which is exciting and powerful. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited hearing Beck talk because it's like totally agree. Like the hardest question to be asked is like, oh, yeah, this is cool. So like, what, what else do you do in education? If you're like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> survive, subsist, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Well, uh, but yeah. Stephen, I think that's such, and it, it's such a hard, and we talked a little bit about this off air, like it, uh, teaching and to talk about being great at teaching, which you obviously both are, is actually a really difficult thing because it's such a, a selfless profession where you invest so much into other people. And then, then to turn around and say, yeah, I'm doing a good job, like I think is really difficult uh, because, um, like I said, because we invest so much into our students and it's such a... Um, in many ways, a it was such an incredible privilege to get to do what we do. Um, but I think sometimes teachers are not great at, at, at saying the amazing job that they're doing. And, and it's it's lovely to see that people as experienced as both of you are, um, are still trying to kind of verbalize or, or even talk about the amazing work you do because it's, it's so much a part of who you are. I think it's really, really, really lovely. Um, how do you define? Oh, sorry, Beck. Well, um, I forgot that what question I asked Stephen, but whatever it was, <laughs> I, I think I might have. I think I was answer that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I might have lost that thread. It's okay. It's late here, but <laughs> what I might do, Beck, is I might. Um, how do you stay curious? That was the that's question. right. How do you stay yeah. curious? Stay Thank curious. you. Curious. Ah, yeah. Actually, that's a good thing. Um, in terms of 
professional learning I've done over the recent years, so professional learning is probably what keeps me curious. I like looking at those different opportunities for things that um, allow you to collaborate and network with other teachers because that's when you get some of the best knowledge yeah. ever. And that's where I got to meet Stephen actually face-to-face -face was at a professional learning at a conference in Melbourne where I was um, fortunate to go. If you ever meet this guy in person, he's very tall, guys. Don't be scared. <laughs> and, that was my strong memory of you too. I was like, hey, she's taller than she looks. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I never get to feel short. You look taller in the short. video, Stephen, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, you look very tall. I don't know. I didn't know if it was an angle that made you look taller, but it's good to know that in person he's you are. very tall. I think I sit under his armpit. Like, <laughs> anyway. Um, I love that you know that somehow. Like, <laughs> we actually tried it when we went to professional learning, yeah. Sorry, um, Beck, what were you saying? Well, engaging in that practice and being, because there'll be one person at your table that will have a different perspective or a different um, experience or, or um, idea about what you're doing that will make you go, huh. And I recently completed a course through um, New South Wales Department of Education called the Aspiring Principles Leadership Program. And it talks about the leadership mindsets of which one is being curious. And it took us through all of this professional learning about how do we stay curious as lifelong learners, as educators, as leaders, as we keep going. So that's kind of stuck with me as I've continued beyond that course into future professional learning, which has now led me down training in emotional intelligence. And oh man, if you really want to be deep and meaningful and self-reflective and learn about yourself, go into emotional intelligence. Um, but I think just professional learning so much, like no matter how much they change the curriculum, any one of us, we're professionals, we can read curriculum and understand it and learn what we're supposed to do in our job. We can all read policies and procedures and understand what we're meant to do. But it's in professional learning with our colleagues and with our networks that I think keeps us curious. Yeah, yeah, really, really important. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so lovely to see that people that are as experienced um, as you both are, um, that are still... Uh, so curious and so excited about our wonderful profession it's really it's really wonderful to see like even as like, obviously people at home that are listening to this can't um can't see the video but you're even just seeing your faces light up when you talk about the possibilities in education is really uh is really wonderful so even though it is 8 30 at night uh thank you for, for still remaining so passionate do, um i just wanted to touch on one thing that you talked about uh back in terms of leadership do you think that the notion um of leadership is changing especially in schools do you think that now there is more of a focus on some of those more self-reflective skills and those if you like those softer skills I don't know how true my answer would be of all uh, states or systems globally, mm -hmm. but if you're from the experience that I've seen, there's like a two sort of pronged pathway. There's one where it is definitely um, going back down that path of instructional leadership, where we want our principals in classrooms, working with teachers, sharing that, you know, detailed knowledge and experience that they have from their career, which means those people, those leaders remaining upskilled and curious Mm. and um, and continuing their own lifelong learning and then there's another prong which is just a systemic issue where it's become administrative completely administrative with heavy workload and we know this is true it's come out of the Gallup inquiry or the Gallup report I should say sorry and the huge workload that is put onto principles and the responsibility that goes on principles at the moment too so it really depends on the experience they have. I know some sisters have the training programs, you know, to prepare principals and, um, and uh, induction programs as well for principals too. But the, the fact is it's, it just will depend on your school context 
and your school culture and what the focus is as to which way you're able to go down those pathways or if you can try and find a way for them to merge because and that's that's just the way it is at this point so I think we'll see things now with you know different unions and stuff trying to take a stand against the workload uh, that we're seeing um but like from from my point like I I really want to focus on teaching and learning I know how much workload there is in the red tape admin background as well too. And some days it's all about the admin just because it is, it just has to be. Mm. But then there's other days when, you know, you get to the teaching and learning and you get to do the stuff that feels really, really good. And it makes you miss being in the classroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Stephen, would you, uh, do you have a similar uh, view with your context down in Melbourne? Yeah, I don't know. I'd, like the, the research would tell us instructional leadership has been like a thing for 20 years and uh, the phrase, I think the article used was something like, um, and the store, the door to the classroom still remains firmly shut to most leadership. And I think that's kind of, um, that's yeah. something like Beck and myself would be push, trying to push against, I guess. But it's, uh, it's still difficult because the, the joy of teaching is it's impossible to tell uh, what good and bad is. And that's kind of, for me, especially like that was my Cambodian experience. We go over there with our preconceived idea a class is 25 you go over there I've got a class of 80 it's like everything you know throw that out the window um and there's a different approach there's a different way of doing things and everything's contextual so you know we all we would all as leaders go on learning walks and you sit in the back of someone's class and you think oh that's not how I would do it and they're probably looking at your class thinking that's not how I would do it Mm -hmm. and there's no there's no right in there in the middle Mm -hmm. um but as Beck speaks to as well like it leadership needs to become like it needs to be a multi multi-person show you need your person that um you know is across the policies who's a, a manager first you know and they're writing calendars doing all those sort of administrative things if that's their strength and then you need someone who's doing the instructional leadership part you need someone who's doing sort of transformational leadership developing other leaders contingency plans like it's it's a patchwork of ideas and yeah yeah. And as, as Beck says, it's all about reflecting and working out, you know, what is your strength and how can you contribute? And that's something I think the two of us have tried to do uh, in a global sense. But, you know, that that's true is just as true in a school setting as it is in a classroom setting. Who are your leaders? Who has the strong voice? Who has the skill sets? And how can you use them together? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think Stephen, you, I mean, you raised so many really important points there. And for me personally, uh, one of the most transformative things that I have done in my career was to go and do my, uh, the Masters of Instructional Leadership down in Melbourne. Um, and that really, that really got me out of my bubble. Um, I, I'm a proud uh, New, South, New South Wales teacher. Um, but of course, we have blinkers on and there's things that we don't there's things that we just accept that are normal. And for me, actually going to a different educational context, getting to see some amazing teaching um, and, and go around some wonderful schools in Melbourne and also uh, really uh, study with some incredible, uh, sorry, I learned from some amazing lecturers. It really got me to start to look outside of my own context and go, okay, and actually ask some of those questions. And I, and I imagine that would be such a, a valuable thing to do as you are going to um, to other countries and seeing teaching practice and observing and and, and, and contributing to that, but um, so what do you think is important? And we might start with uh, start with Beck and then come back to Stephen. Um, I mean, there's so many different styles of leadership. There's so many different ways of doing things. So, what do you think makes a great educator? We might go to Beck first. What are the important things? It's a big reflection. Question. Reflection has to be the biggest thing. I mean, reflection and and willingness to to learn and to grow. Um, I I read 
Brene Brown's Dare to Lead book, which has a task in it where you nut out your two values and it's really hard to do. And the two that came out for me were growth and responsibility. And I think for me being a teacher and a leader, I feel responsible for the students and for the teachers and for the community that I work in. But it's always about growth. It's not about everyone reaching the same mark. That could be students and teachers. We've got beginning teachers, experienced teachers. I work with a teacher who has been a teacher for, I think, 30 plus years and she still reflects and grows and changes. You know, we hear people saying that, you know, they get stuck in their ways and then they, you know, ride out to retirement and she is the absolute opposite of that definition. And that's what I love seeing in teachers. And I hope that I support that as one of the leaders in the school is that, you know, that growth is something for her too. And I'd like to think that I'd be doing that still even after 30 years in teaching. So I I think just being able to reflect and grow and change because, yeah, like I said before about, you know, curriculum and content, we're we're professional and experts enough to be able to handle anything they throw at us in terms of those changes. But if you can't reflect on yourself um, to adapt what you're doing to suit your kids' needs, I think that would be a, a point where you go, well, am I really doing the best I can as their teacher? Absolutely. Recently, my principal put me on to um, or encouraged me very strongly to read uh, the Dare to Lead book by Brene it's Brown. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And look, I, I I say read. I've got it on Audible. I don't know if I can say that I've read it. Um, but <laughs> it, it is. Um, it, it, it's amazing. And, and, and I've actually had to stop it a number of times and actually go and implement some of the things it was talking about because there's just so much in there. Um, yep. But it's incredibly powerful. Um, and so I look forward to uh, getting to that bit that you talked about, about the, that. Yeah, it's hard. Um, Take your time. <laughs> well, I'm not emotionally ready for it, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I will, I'll loop back and let you know uh, how I go. But um, uh, Stephen, what about you? What, what's important do you think in, and what, what are some of the things that great teachers do? Well, firstly, as, a, as an English teacher, let me just ble- bless your, your audio book <laughs> listening and to tell you it's legitimate. I've uh, Can I been say doing I've that all week to I've people. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, right. since, since baby arrived, my, my book goal fell in the toilet. Uh, but, I've, you know, as soon as I went to audiobooks, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm back on track. So I highly recommend everyone does that. Put it on double speed, triple speed, you know, get it happening. Maybe not for Dare to Lead, which is asking you to reflect. You probably don't want to do that in hyper speed. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I would say the two things, uh, passion and reflection. Um, I've yep. For the last couple of months, I've been doing a little bit of, you know, lecturing or talking to teachers-to-be, baby teachers. Um, and it's um, a, a big discussion point um, among our politicians especially uh, is kind of the idea that like well, our students, student teachers need to be like highly knowledgeable. They need to pass all these literacy and numeracy tests. Um, but I think, you know, while that's at a certain point, that's true that if you have the passion and working with the students that I'm working with now, I'm not exactly sure what their, their ATAR was, um, but I could tell you the, the ones that are going to be great teachers, irregardless of that, based on their passion. And then, yeah, so you need enough passion to survive, you know, the first five years where close to half our teachers drop out and then reflection becomes super important as well. So if you've got enough passion to get you over that hurdle, then it's all about reflection. And, you know, because yeah. we, all, we all know that teacher who just, you know, this is how I teach, this is the PowerPoint I use. I've used it every year. I blow the dust off the, uh, you know, the uh, overhead projector that I use or whatever it is. I can't even remember what the technology the is called. It just gave me yeah. the rotoscope or whatever. Um, and I still use the same transfers and I draw on them and they love it every time. Um, you know, it, 
you would hope that there's that there's less of that uh, and that reflection is part of the way to stop that happening. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, it. Just took me back to uh, primary school when my job was to uh, uh, w- w- was to change the overhead projector slide, and I'd always get it back <laughs> for some reason. Usually, like it was usually in a, at a for some reason I have a memory of doing it during a Christmas hymn or something, and just the whole. Uh, hall just breaking up and spontaneous laughter and feeling absolutely mortified but so I'm traumatized by overhead projectors but it's it's, <laughs> it's sad to know that some people are still using them I hope that that's uh I hope that that trend is going away um, you can still use them for really cool like silhouette you activities if you're spelling out some CVC words yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually used them for art but I did I, I did start to get a bit nervous when I saw one uh, in the storeroom at school because like, it just brought back a rush of emotion from primary school for me uh, but uh, so Stephen what are what are some of the things then like you talked about um, about working with great teachers what are some of the indicators that you say yeah they're going to be a great teacher you talked, talked about reflection um, are there any other qualities that you go yeah I reckon they're going to be able to make it in this probation and contribute something meaningful um, I don't know how to describe how you notice it but it's definitely it's it's, it's passion it's it's in it in indescribable you can just tell like um we did uh just two weeks ago we did a little session not surprisingly uh i had to make a video which is you know back it up (laughs) is something we do quite often and i feel that's like that's part of the reflective process um there were a whole number of students who's basically said oh i'm not sharing my video but i recorded three and they were very boring and i i'm and i'm I'm considering it from my from my students perspective and realizing Mm. Oh, I'm boring to listen to. And that to me is like, that's that's a, a lack of passion being visible. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are passionate but can't communicate that yet. And that's something that we need to learn as teachers to sort of sell sell that kind of idea that this is interesting. What we're learning about is exciting. Believe me, even though I've taught it for 10 years and I could tell you every, every single scene, you know, describe it picture by picture. But, yeah, definitely passion. And I'm not exactly sure... How to spot it? I know how to spot it, but I don't know how to describe it when you when I see it, yeah, and uh, when I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, Beck, is there a teacher that has uh, really had an impact, a positive impact on your life? You don't have to name them, but I'd just be fascinated to hear about um, about how that teacher made you feel or what impact they had on your life. As in my own teacher throughout my schooling. Yes. So, sorry, that was a terribly worded question. Um, <laughs> what's a teacher in your schooling that has made a difference in your life? I, I was fortunate to have lots of amazing teachers, um, yeah. very creative teachers, very inspirational teachers. Um, I'm, I'm going to give the shout out, though, Mr. Field. I still can't call him by his first name because I respect him too much. I know, I know his I name know. is Paul, yeah. but, you know, I'm, I'm even friends with him on Facebook. He's retired now. It's fine. I'm allowed to say his first name, but I can't. It's Mr. Yeah. Field. And he was starting high school. He was uh, his social studies, so or social sciences, whatever, whatever we're going to call it. Is he now? Um, he was geography to start off with, but then for year 11 and 12, he was my legal studies teacher and, and law was such a passion subject for me at the time. I loved it. And he was just one of those teachers that was authentic. He was honest and open about making mistakes, about life changes. Um, you know, it, he made a, the classroom a safe place for us to make mistakes and have really 
deep and honest conversations and argue with him about things, especially when it comes to the law and you're a 17-year-old kid and you want to fight the system from your portable classroom in your high school. Um, it was he, he would happily have that conversation. And I still remember lessons where it was the class. There was probably only eight of us doing legal studies at the time. And we would be debating these things and he would only sort of jump into the conversation where I guess guidance was necessary for. Mm. So there were some lessons I think that were predominantly student talk. And we know that that's what's really effective in our lessons for student autonomy and student understanding um, in, in just a way that, yes, yeah, supported that, that learning. So that's something that's resonated with me for so long. And I, I like to think that's what I take back to the classroom as well. Remembering those experiences is that I try and go in with that honest approach with my kids. If I stuff up, I made a mistake, guys. Here's how I'm going to learn from it. It's okay to make mistakes. Same approach I take with the kids and just being authentic about, you know, why we're doing what it mm. is we're doing and, and the reality of everything going on around us, whether yeah. it's life or the learning that's in the classroom as well. Yeah. And it's interesting that you still can't call him, that you still can't call him. So you have to keep calling him Mr. Field. <laughs> Mr. Field, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel the same. I went to a, a, a tiny primary school in England and, and my teacher was a lady called Miss Jones. Um, she's called Beth, but I, I still can't call her Beth. And we had friends on Facebook and I went back and saw her a couple of years ago visiting relatives over in England. And I, I, I sort of awkwardly gave her a hug. I don't know why. I don't know what came up with me. <laughs> I, I was a grown man. I just felt it would be appropriate to give my quite small teacher a cuddle it's very weird and I still couldn't um I still couldn't call her Beth she goes no you'd have to call me Miss Jones I'm like no no but I do I, I do like you're my teacher you'll always be my teacher like I can't it, it's it's interesting isn't it the impact that um that great educators have on our lives like it really is transformative and I know that I was uh, going through a really challenging time uh with our family at that point like the family was separating um but I knew that every single time I went into her classroom I knew that I was uh I knew that I was seen and I knew that I was valued and I don't remember what I learned in her class um yeah. but I remember <laughs> how she made me feel um and that um yeah and and, and my hope is that as educators, we can all be that to somebody. Um, mm. But I'm getting very philosophical. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Stephen, what about you? What, what's a, a teacher that has had a significant impact in your life and why? Um, well, I'm glad you two spoke beforehand because it's given me time to prepare. Um, if you had <laughs> asked me this... Um, you We've know, gone off the uh, off the questions a bit this evening, so thank you. For no, no, your that's good. Because no, it's yep. like, yeah, I, I was like, gosh, I don't have that strong a memory of my primary school, but then as you're talking, I'm like, Mr. Gower, Miss Cuthbert Cuthbertson, I remember these names. And it's like, that was like, you know, about 30 years ago. So it's pretty, to me, it's surprising that I remember those names. I think one of, one of my primary school teachers that I really loved, I think I ended up teaching her children as well. So I was able to kind of oh, wow. do, do that reverse thing. And she'd kind of turn up and be like, hi. And I'd be like, hi, miss. And then <laughs> it was this weird kind of, How's it going? Good. Yeah, I remember you. Yep, I know. Yeah. Kind of, you know, as, you as a young teacher. Anything bad in that report comment? You, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you like, a naughty student? Is that why she giving you the side eye? Great. Um, <laughs> no, I think I was all right. I think I was. You know, she might have pulled me up. I think I sort of. I was probably two minutes walk from the school, so we might have broken a couple of windows. You know, playing cricket or something like that, and 
<laughs> might have had to own up to her or something like that. I'm sort of sure there's some trauma that I could tease out for you, but there's something there. Call the kid again. <laughs> I just I just remember that parent teacher interview just being like, oh, I've really got the hang of this parent teacher interview thing, and it's like <laughs> your primary school teacher that you really respect turns up, and you're like, oh, I'm I'm five again. Here we are. Okay. <laughs> like, so uh, his scores are on me. How you doing? You doing good? Um, yeah, I don't know. and then just at high school, I just remember like at one point kind of, you know, going to see a teacher and knocking on the door and kind of pushing it open and seeing a staff room and the teachers were just like having such a such a fiery debate and having such a good time that I was kind of had this real sense of like, that that would be a cool place to be. That would be a nice, a nice experience to be a part of. And then kind of, it's, it's proven to be true uh, years later, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um... It's really interesting, isn't it? How and it, it definitely makes me think about what what is the impact that I'm having on my students. And and my hope is that if I could have a a, a small proportion of the impact that someone like Miss Jones had on my life, then I will be I would I will retire very happy. Um, and it's it's just it, I love hearing stories like that because it's such a precious reminder of the of the incredibly. Um, a personal role that we play as educators. Um, we, we get the opportunity to shape the lives and the minds of, of the next generation of leaders. Um, and so it's, it's a huge privilege. And I know as a dad, um, at some point I'm gonna kiss my girls goodbye and they're gonna skip off to school. And um, uh, my hope is that they will uh, have a teacher that is just that little bit like Miss Jones that makes a, makes a real difference. Um, in their lives but it's um really uh, look we we're part of a really sorry at the moment it's a it's quite an unusual uh a part um in the education so let me rephrase that hopefully i can edit that out um it's quite an unusual time i think at the moment in education especially in terms of uh, what's happening with the covid19 pandemic the ongoing pandemic that it is um, Beck, what do you think, what impact do you think that has had on education and uh, do you think we are going to bounce back uh, to quote unquote normal or is this the new normal? I think that from this year, kids have demonstrated that they can be really resilient through mm. this kind of thing. And you see that when you get uh, new kids, you know, refugee students that come into the classroom mm. that have been in war-torn countries for two plus years and they just slot into the classroom and start learning um, you know quite um, grateful to be in a classroom I think our kids are going to be grateful to come back even the ones that are normally like oh, I don't want to go to school again so they're, they're going to be so happy to come back and be in that classroom and be in that safe comfortable environment where they yeah. can see their friends um, I, I think there will be a gap but I think our teachers are highly skilled and will find the best way they can to support their kids and be able to get them back. Um, I, I have 100% confidence that our teachers have the skills to do everything they need to to get kids to where they need to be and they'll do that in the time frame that suits that child. I have no, mm -hmm. no concerns about that whatsoever. I, I do have concerns about the impact it's had on teacher wellbeing in this time though um, because we see the conversations having whether it's online or, you know, in, in person, and, and I'm not refer referring to any particular conversation I've had, these are just ones that I'm aware of, yeah. is that teachers are very aware of the fact that they've been a little part of this conversation throughout the pandemic. We hear lots about, you know, um, as, that we're essential workers, 
um, and that education needs to continue. And then, you know, we don't really hear about what measures are in place to mm. support teachers for that. We hear yeah. about what's going on for kids. We hear about, you know, um, how we're going to, you know, the COVID support programs and what's going to be in measures for them and how important it is for kids to be protected when they go back. Uh, and teachers don't seem to be part of that conversation and they know. So my concern would be how do we support the people who will be supporting the kids, you know? I don't want teachers to feel like they're squished between the rock and the hard place, even though we're being told how essential and critical we are during this time. So I am very concerned we're going to lose teachers at the end of this if we go back and they still feel completely devalued or mm -hmm. if we've had some of those beginning teachers, baby teachers, I would like to take that, um, that phrase on, please. Um, I, I'm very concerned that their their passion or their drive or their well-being just was squashed to the point where they can't continue anymore and we lose wonderful educators. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you raised some um, some incredible points there. Um, Stephen, what about yourself? What do you think about some of the, what are some of the impacts of this pandemic and do you think um, we will bounce back to uh, previous ways of thinking or are you optimistic that we can learn from this? Depends on the day uh, that you ask me. Uh, <laughs> I get asked this question a lot, but I would in say the in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the majority of things will bounce back to normal. I think it's easy for a lot of a lot of rhetoric to be, you know, we're all about innovating and things get better and we use technology and all these sort of things. But, um, you know, having, I think in Victoria, we're up to like 156 days of online learning, remote learning, delivery, whatever we're calling it. Um, and I think it's safe to say that it's, it's not it. Uh, that, that's not the solution. Um, and I think like if you had asked me, you know, online learning, video, all those sort of things that we do uh, as kind of tech forward teachers, is that the thing? I think there would have been people standing around in a conference being like, this is it, we've found the solution. And now, for me at least in Victoria, we've, we've all done it. And yeah, this is, not the, this is not the thing. This is not the solution. No one's, no one's closing schools and going, you know what? This whole hanging out with peers and talking to teachers and having that face-to-face. -face. I think we're going back to that. And I think that's really important. Um, and I think a little bit, it will, I hope, kind of insulate us against that kind of, um, of being too futuristic focused and sort of being like, oh, you know, schools are like factories. It's like, well, in a way, yeah. But if, you know, a room full of people is like a factory, then yeah, totally schools are like factories. Um, so yeah, I would say, Small things will change, like parent-teacher interviews, I think will mostly be online. There's a fair few staff meetings that could absolutely survive as a, as a Zoom meeting. <laughs> it is an email now, isn't it? It is an email, email. exactly. <laughs> um, you know, even the thing of, like, the idea that you could re record a staff meeting, like, that was not even something that was possible or thought of. Um, and I know at my school, like, a couple of times, people have been like, oh, could we get the swivel out and record this staff meeting? Someone's away, they want to watch it after the fact. And that's that's not something that ever would have happened pre-COVID because like, that's a, a, quite a bizarre idea. It's like, well, you weren't there, so you didn't see it. Um, mm. But I think, yeah, the technology that all us teachers have learned how to do, mm. and my, my hope is always, as it has been since, since we started making YouTube videos for students and teachers and whoever, is um, that that skill set uh, is kind of important and relevant even pre post during COVID whatever you call it remote learning face-to-face -face, there's still a place for that sort of thing to have leverage so I'd hope that would continue um but yeah as as Beck said it's 
uh, something needs to change about the teacher the teacher element within our society because the amount of times that um, and as a Victorian we've had a hundred million different restrictions and updates and press conferences and um, most people sit there for the first five minutes hear what's happening and go about their day teachers are there for the full two, two hours going okay but so how does that relate to me as a teacher and I've never I've never really been directly addressed but if schools are back does that mean I'm back and uh, if my kids are back on my back or if only some of them are like it's uh it's yeah after that brief little bump in popularity where I was like hey teachers are amazing <laughs> and then like two weeks later I was like well I wish my kid was back in school so could we send the teachers back please uh yeah so until that's repaired the sort of our role within society I don't think anything dramatically is going to change but there will be some sort of improvements around the edges and definitely skill like the skill development of teachers has been pretty incredible to see yeah everyone sort of jumped into the future overnight almost so hasn't it put the, the silly argument to rest of oh teachers will become obsolete one day it'll all be online like, <laughs> no <laughs> that will never happen <laughs> that's what I'm saying we really thought that for a bit there we were like oh we could like what if we pulled all the all the YouTube videos of all the amazing teachers in the world? You wouldn't even need a teacher. We'll just get Eddie Wu, we'll get Beck, we'll get Steve, we'll get Matt, we'll get everyone in there, we'll put all the videos online. And that's like, yeah, that, that's there's something I really hope that gets addressed beyond this. And I don't know how we do this other than nagging, but the the whole um, I don't know what we call it, technology poverty. I don't know if that's what we call this, is the like Surely this has highlighted the fact that not every family has access to the internet, to technology. And I don't even, I'm not even just talking like rural and remote communities that like physically yeah. don't have access to it. I'm talking about in our metro communities, in our low socioeconomic areas where families would rather pay for milk and bread and cereal than internet for their phone. And that's just because that's what the situation is. And that could be a mm -hmm. poverty cycle. That could be because they're fleeing domestic violence. They're new yeah. refugees. Yeah. People seem to think that these communities get payouts and it's really not how that works. And when it came to us going online, uh, we had the restriction this lockdown that we weren't allowed to hand out packs. So like last year, the families could come down and social distance and sign and pick up a device or uh, pick up a learning pack and this time it was no no one on site you need to mail stuff out so we've got kids families of up to five that don't have we couldn't loan them a device because they don't have internet at home and we couldn't get dongles and all those sorts of things so we had to mail we have to mail out our work three weeks in advance because Australia Post is just so inundated with everything now that's how far in advance we have to plan the work that we're doing for these kids but it also means we can't see what work they're doing if they can't upload work for us to see and monitor. So we're pretty much on the phone kind of going, so what did you write down for page three, you know? Um, like really that's, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there's some kind of way that we can provide this for families when they begin their education, because even if we want to go down that future path of things like flipped learning, if we want to provide them with technology to watch the videos prior to coming into the class and have those really good you know Socratic conversations <laughs> around yeah. learning they, yeah. they need to be given that stuff to be able to do it and it's just it's going to increase this horrible cycle where they just don't have access to that wonderful learning other than at school yeah yeah Becky raised uh, so many important points I mean I uh, I'm working in a different school context to you now but I know for many years I, I was working just down the road to where your wonderful school is and and going online 
uh, and doing remote learning in southwestern Sydney is very, very different, I, I think, to anything that I've experienced going online again in another school context. It really is a very unique place and there's so many issues and challenges and um, I think it raises so many uh, concerns around equity uh, and access to things like technology and learning. And it's, and I, I think that uh, teachers have done and will continue to do an amazing job, do whatever we can to engage our students. And it's really, um, it's so inspiring to hear and especially to hear the work that teachers are doing down in Melbourne, Stephen, that, that common um, uh, goal and thread of, uh, of doing whatever we can to make sure our students are learning is, is incredibly uh, inspiring. And uh, teachers are amazing. We are, uh, it sounds like I'm arrogant, but we are an amazing group of people uh, that are, um, uh, that education has transformed our lives and what a privilege it is to get to do that for the lives of other people. And um, uh, guys, I did say, I did promise that I would wrap up uh, by nine o'clock so that you can go to your families. Uh, but uh, I am, I just wanted to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, I'm incredibly grateful uh, that you would take the time uh, to talk with me this evening. And uh, congratulations again for, um, for everything that you are doing. And I think this, uh, the Global Teacher Prize nomination is so well deserved. And, and thank you for representing us uh, on the global stage. Um, it's a, a huge privilege to speak to you. But um, Beck, just in closing, where can uh, people find out more about you? And then we'll uh, we'll come back to you, Stephen. So I'm on Twitter under BeckWest81. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and uh, YouTube under Talk and Chalk. If you'd like to look at younger kids' uh, videos, learning videos, that's on Clever Pickles. So there's some maths and handwriting predominantly and some other random things that I chuck on there as well. Um, but, you know, if you're within my system in New South Wales, you'll know how to find me on the, the global network when you search up our names and see where I am. Um, if you want to contact me via email, I always respond to anyone who contacts, with, contacts me with, you know, invitations. And I, I will say yes or no, depending on what my priorities are at the time. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what about you, Stephen? Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, well, it's probably quicker to say where, where they can't. Um, I'm not on Snapchat, and that's about it, really. Um, <laughs> you if, should be. If you, yeah. If you Google my name and uh, exclude uh, the more famous Stephen Colbert, then you're probably on the right track. Um, YouTube channel, Mr. Colbert's teaching stephencolbert.com, which I, you know, learned how to make a website for some reason, mostly to learn how to make a website. Um, but, yeah, I'm in a lot of places, and... Uh, but later this week, I'll be the ASL conference if anyone wants to swing by. Obviously, you're not going to publish this overnight, so it's just irrelevant, likely at this point anyway. But yeah, I'm around. Fantastic. We have to shout out the um, teachers across borders because I don't think you actually said the name earlier. So that's what Absolutely. Stephen does when he works with those teachers overseas. Teachers across borders. Uh, they're on Twitter as well, yes? Yeah, Teachers Across Borders Australia. There's a US one. There's a Sweden one as well. At the moment, we're moving into a hiatus as we wait to, uh, you know, be able to leave the country, uh, you know, because we're currently teachers very much confined within borders and local government areas, which isn't teachers as catchy a name. Teachers borders, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. we'll be uh, bouncing back at some point in the near future and returning to cross borders. <laughs> so you just need a little um, asterisk in there, teachers waiting to go across borders. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll make sure that I put all this information uh, so that everyone can uh, stay in contact with you and uh, and also, yeah, see your work. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and congratulations again. We're all so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Thank you.